I'm really excited because we're starting on the precepts today. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be going through the five training precepts. And I really, um, I find them to be incredibly powerful and empowering and important in how we move through the world. And what I want to do is just give a brief introduction to the precepts as a whole, and then I'll, and then I'll get into the first precept. So... Um, I'm sure you're all familiar, I'm guessing most of you are familiar with the five training precepts. I'm, my background is, my practice is Theravada, early Buddhism, and um, we, these are often recited um, sometimes daily, sometimes weekly at different, different um, uh, ceremonies, and they're a commitment well, they're the Buddha's prescription for ethical behavior, basically, bottom line. There is her, his, um, his offering that if we pick it up, it allows us to live in harmony with the rest of the world. And they're primarily for lay people. The monastics have a whole bunch of um, rules and regulations, uh, the Vinaya, which uh, are a lot, hundreds, hundreds of them. Um, we get as lay people just five, um, and still that can be a challenge. So, um, but they are really important. They're not commandments in the sense that it's not "thou shalt do this" or "if you don't do exactly this, they are um, then you will have." X punishment. That's not how it works. Actually, what they are is uh, inviting us to pay attention to harmful behaviors and let go of them and cultivate beneficial ways of being in the world. And it, there's a book um, written by Peter Harvey called Introduction to Buddhist Ethics, and he says they're, a, they're actually a form of generosity and giving. Because they invite us, or the the way they're written, they're like no killing, no don't don't lie, don't steal, be wise, be um, careful with your sexuality. So they're kind of have a negative way of being expressed. But what that does is, um, when you stop doing certain things, then you can move into a place of generosity and kindness and making it safe as I said safe for other people in fact that is something I heard Ruth King say at a retreat a number of years ago she said oh her intent the intention she has for her life is to make it safe for other people to be around her and when I heard that I was like wow that's really powerful and that is that is found in the suttas this is these these precepts are a way for folks to make it safe for others to be around them. And ethical behavior is of paramount importance in Buddhist teachings. In fact, sila, ethical behavior or integrity, is one of the, the pieces of the Eightfold Path. There's, there's mindfulness, there's wisdom, and there's ethical behavior. And often these ethical behavior, this ethical behavior is taught even before mindfulness because if you are sitting with um, wrapped up in greed or wrapped up in hatred, wrapped up in delusion or ignorance or, or caught in, in guilt over um, harmful actions you've done, then it's really difficult to be mindful. So as soon as you can start cleaning away some of those really 
um, harmful actions and harmful ways of being, both with yourself and with others, there's much more of a chance to come into um, some ease and some awareness uh, without reactivity, without you know falling into that conditioned behavior. It's really important to recognize that. And I heard, I just heard this this morning. When we, when we practice um, the precepts or practice ethical be- behavior, it allows us to rest in our goodness, which I thought is also a lovely phrase. We can rest in the goodness that's here. This luminosity, I taught a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember what I was teaching, but I was talking about the luminosity of the heart that is our luminous being that's here, but we're just conditioned into you know greed, hatred, ignorance that that dulls that luminosity so precepts are a way to break through that that dullness so we're looking at the five training precepts and let me just go over them i have a great tendency to talk about things and explain them before i give you what they are tell you what they are so but as i said you probably all know them um are familiar with them so um these they often start with um i undertake the training not to, and the first one is not intentionally take a life, not intentionally kill. The second one is to not take what's not freely offered, stealing. The third is to be wise with my sexuality. The fourth is to refrain from false speech. And the fifth is to refrain from, refrain from ingesting um, anything that will lead to heedlessness, most often talked about as drugs and alcohol refraining from that because um, when we become clouded, when we become um, intoxicated with whatever we're ingesting, it's really easy to be mind, mindless, um, not paying attention and cause a lot of harm. Kind of, I always say the, the, uh, the first four precepts are out the window once we're all screwed up. Um, so as I said, the precepts seem to be written in this negative kind of way. I refrain to refrain from don't do this but what that does is um, well it and it's very 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 common in Buddhism there's the one piece it's like okay don't do this but what it also does is it brings into focus what the intention is or what actually you should be doing the beneficial action that you should be taking instead of killing somebody or causing harm what you want to do is move through the world with kindness and compassion. So it's an idea of displacement. You stop doing one thing, and then what that does is it makes room for the other thing, and you cultivate the other thing. So if you, as I said, you don't kill or cause harm, you can instead um, be kind and compassionate. If you don't steal, then you can be generous and giving. Um, if you don't, if you're, um, not lusting after everything, then you can be at ease with the way things are. If you are not caught up in false speech, then you are honest and trustworthy and dependable. And if you're not, um, ingesting things that lead to heedlessness or mindless, mindlessness, then you are mindful and aware which are all necessary for liberation and for enlightenment. The other thing about the precepts, which I find really, um, really uh, important and um, helpful 
as we move through this is that if they're not, as I said, they're not commandments, thou shalt do this or this will happen. They're guidelines in how we live. And so if somehow we, we cause harm or we um, lie or take something that wasn't offered to us, there's no need to have guilt or be racked with shame. Instead, it's really, this is a practice and uh, a teaching and uh, about accountability, about clarity, about remorse and saying, okay, this is, I see what happened. I see what my action is. I see what the results are. There's probably some karmic consequences, but I'm going to continue moving in the right direction. I'm going to continue moving away from the harming and towards the non-harming. And so much of the precepts is grounded in intention. What is your intention? Obviously, um, uh, there's intention and there's impact, but and so we are aware of the impact of our actions, but we want to have cultivate wise intention. And I'll talk more about that later because these precepts are incredibly, um, are, are supported by uh, a lot of the factors of the Eightfold Path, like wise view, seeing clearly what's going on and um, uh, effort to do what needs to be done and intention. Um, so... Yeah, and intention is setting a course for our lives that doesn't cause harm. And the precepts are a very personal undertaking. They're a way to frame how we move through the world. You know, they are respected ideals, they're beneficial aspects, and it's a harmonizing of body and speech and mind. It's a harmonizing of how we how we get along with ourselves, how we get along with others, how we get along, um, yeah, in, in the world in which we live. So um, let, me, let me just move into the first precept, which is to undertake the training to abstain from taking a life. And um, Peter Harvey, again, in the introduction to Buddhist ethics, talks about how this is really uh, uh, very much based in the Hindu, Hindu and Jain concept of ahimsa, which is non-harming. The Buddha didn't teach in a vacuum. He was very much of his, of his world and of his time. And the idea of non-harming was very prevalent. And so this, this comes out of that. And Bhikkhu Bodhi has a line in, um, in his book, The Eightfold Path, where he talks about this precept. And I just love this. And he says, this first precept of not, uh, of not taking a life is grounded in the idea that all beings love life and fear death. They seek happiness and are averse to pain. All beings love life. And they seek happiness and reverse the pain. I, I really, I think when, you know, they say never say never and be careful of generalities, but sometimes these generalities just make sense that we all want to um, be happy or we all want to be at ease. We all want to feel safe. We all want to feel secure. And when this this precept is kind of guaranteeing that, if everybody did this, we'd all have that experience. We all uh, cherish our lives for the most part. And 
we're support if if everybody would practice this we'd all be supported in that so it's incredibly important it's of paramount importance and it's not just about not killing it's about not causing harm you know and the the if we displace the killing and the causing harm we allow the uh, kindness and compassion uh, to arise and so really basic don't kill but then again just watch and see where you cause harm so putting the precepts into practice is very intentional and we have to begin to recognize maybe where we do cause harm you know we sit set an intention to live in a way that just doesn't cause harm but cultivates well-being and um, how do we do that we have to recognize where we do cause harm you know there's some questions that are asked around this that i think are really important where we cause harm what drives us how are we impacted by the conditioning our conditioning familial conditioning societal conditioning i mean greed is rampant in our society consumerism is a way of life in this country and that causes so much harm in so many places that sometimes we're not aware of so there's the societal thing that we may buy into but then there's also the um the personal harm that we cause not intentionally i don't think any of us go any of us go out intentionally wanting to cause harm but we're so conditioned and so driven by fear and so driven by needing to feel okay that we may not even be aware of it so often we're impacted by how we are the lessons we learn growing up by what society tells us about whether we're from the right place whether we have the right skin color whether we speak the right language whether we love the right people or not they it's it's really um uh challenging and we kind of internalize a lot of this stuff or messages we get from our families or messages we get from our neighbors or our schoolmates all these things have an impact on us and they they form these implicit biases and they these fixed ideas about things should be this way and things shouldn't be that way and we and when we're not mindful we cause harm all of the harm i heard it said once i can't remember who said it that if we were mindful 100% of the time we would never cause any harm because we would see exactly what was happening we could see exactly what was going on and what we were doing and as i look back over my life most of, i i don't want to say most pretty much well my most sometimes i intentionally caused harm because i was being a bitch at the time and felt it was it was deserved on the other person's part but most of the time much of the harm i caused was unintentional and it was because i was trying to take care of myself i was i was as i was thinking about this the other day i was thinking i had a flashback of when i was in my early 20s and i was um i looked 
to others for my self-worth. I had zero self-worth. I had zero self-esteem. And if I was in, I didn't have a lot of relationships, uh, romantic relationships in my life. And so if I got into a relationship, I, it was like, ah, this is, this will save me. Not in, none of this was conscious. This was all how I was driven inside based on all these fears. And I remember getting into a couple of different relationships at the same time and trying to judge which one was better and, and ended up hurting a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of people, all because I was terrified of being left alone. And what if, and, and if this doesn't work out, then this is, and my life will be over. And I was like 22, but you know, it's painful. It's painful. And it was funny, I was listening, I was driving this morning and the John Lennon song, Jealous Guy, came on the radio. And I was listening to some of the lyrics were, um, I didn't mean to hurt you. I'm sorry that I made you cry. I'm just a jealous guy. And he talks about being in fear of, be, of losing, um, losing her. And it's like, I act out of fear. I act out of wanting to take care of myself. And I thought that was a perfect definition of this, this precept of beginning to rec need to recognize where we are impacted by our conditioning and how that conditioning causes harm. So often it starts with suffering and are we comfortable or are we not comfortable? And if we're suffering investigate that and does that cause harm and and it can even be harm to ourselves how do we talk to ourselves internally and there's more about this in wise speech or not wise speech but not in the in the fourth precept a lot more about this in the fourth precept but as but with most of these teachings they don't all they don't exist in a vacuum they all support each other and they're all intertwined so really beginning to see how we cause harm. What drives us? Are we driven by kindness and compassion and, and a sense of connection and a willingness to be with others? Are we driven by generosity and kindness or, and giving? Some of the paramis that I know was a series we did last year. Or are we driven by fear and greater hatred and delusion? And the thing about the precepts is they help drive out these defilements. So if we set, if we commit to living in this way, then we commit to investigating, how do I cause suffering? You know, and this is where it's supported by, by the other teachings, right view, understanding. Because in right view, we understand the Four Noble Truths. And the second, the second Noble Truth is suffering is caused by wanting things to be good all the time seeking that pleasure, pushing away pain. And so instead, it's like, how can we be with what is? Can we be with the discomfort without needing to fix it? You know, and wise intention. Letting go of those things that cause suffering. And cultivating goodwill and cultivating compassion. That's right there in intention. So we set an intention to live in a way that doesn't cause harm that's kind and compassionate. And effort, making the effort to do what's beneficial and walk away from what's harming. You know, as I said, not just causing harm to ourselves, but to our other, not to others, but to ourselves. 
And there's a couple of suttas, a couple of lines from a couple of suttas that really point to this um, about righteous conduct from the Majjhima It says, here, someone abandoning the killing of living beings abstains from killing living beings with rod and weapon laid aside, gentle and kindly, he abides compassionate with friendliness to all living beings. So the sutta says we put down our weapons, whatever those weapons are, and abide compassionate or with friendliness to all living beings. And then there's another, another line from another sutta that says, that says, when you do this, the person practicing both for his own welfare and for the welfare of others is the foremost, the best, the preeminent, the supreme, and the finest. Just gathered a whole bunch of adjectives there and said, if you do this, if you practice for your own benefit and for the benefit of others, that's it. That's the way to go. That's what's happening. The thing of it is, is it can feel um, really overwhelming to see where we can cause harm. It takes humility, openness, vulnerability. But when we are able to acknowledge our conditioning, acknowledge how we got caught up in greed and, and aversion and anger and rage and fear and can um, release that and cultivate kindness and compassion, there's a tremendous freedom. There's a tremendous freedom when we can let go of those stories. There's a, there's a footing on which we stand. That's what it feels like to me. There's this footing that I am willing to let go of these old stories of fear and walk through doing what I'm supposed to do rather than what my habitual reactions are because I'm committed to living in a way that doesn't cause harm, to making it safe for others to be around me. Um, there's, um, there's a Thich Nhat Hanh, um, has been, he's so eloquent about so many teachings and kind of reframed a lot of it to be very, um, very relevant for the 21st century. The sun is coming in and blinding me, but that's okay. Um, and he wrote, he, he does something, he did something called uh, the mindfulness trainings, the five mindfulness trainings, which are kind of based on the precepts. And, and I want to just read his first precept, his first, excuse me, his first mindfulness training, which is called reverence for life. And he says, aware of the suffering caused by the destruction of life, I am committed to cultivating the insight of interbeing and compassion and learning ways to protect the lives of people, animals, plants, and minerals. I'm determined not to kill, not to let others kill, and not to support any act of killing in the world, in my thinking or in my way of life. Seeing that harmful actions arise from anger, fear, greed, and intolerance, which in turn come from dualistic and discriminative drink thinking, I will cultivate openness, non-discrimination, and non-attachment to views 
in order to transform violence, fanaticism, and dogmatism in myself and in the world. It's really quite an undertaking, and I don't know how fully achievable it is, but what it is, it's an aspiration to move in a particular way with our lives. And what we have to do is start where we are. Start where we are. Recognizing that we all start from different places. Again, it's not a commandment. These are not commandments that say, you have to do this. It's so easy when we're given rules that say, do this and don't do that. And then we're safe and secure, and that that breeds um, that breeds um, fundamentalism to a certain extent, where you have only certain ways you have to go. But this these teachings, as the Buddha said, find your way with them. I gave you the teachings. Now be a light unto yourself. Find your way with them, and set your intention to move in a particular direction, knowing there's imperfection, knowing we're going to fall down. Knowing we can't 100% do it right all the time, but our intention is to do that. And just recognize that they're, they're, they're tricky and they're subtle, but don't not try. Don't not try. So not taking a life, not causing harm, paramount importance. Cultivating kindness, cultivating compassion. And I don't know if I said it, but the more we can be compassionate towards ourselves as we as we cease causing harm to ourselves and recognize our stories that cause harm, the more compassionate we can be to ourselves, the more compassionate we can be to others. So it is a, we work in tandem, kindness to ourselves, kindness to each other. A couple other things that I, I want to touch on, and I get, I think people ask this question or, or, or have this question a lot, and I've gotten this question, um, okay, I understand the precept about um, not killing, but there are rats in my bedroom. What do I do? And those are serious questions. I mean, people talk about that a lot. It's and I have I've gone into the kitchen in a on a summer's morning and seen a, a four inch column of ants coming in from the back door into the cat food. And um, there is a I intentionally have to kill some of those ants. Um, if I can't move them out in a way that doesn't kill them, how do I do it intentionally? And just to acknowledge that, um, yeah, that's what you're doing. Don't, we can do it mindlessly or we can do it mindfully, but, you know, there's, sometimes we have to, sometimes we have to do it. And um, I, in the, in the suttas, based on a lot of what the suttas say, it seems to have, there seems to be a, actually a hierarchy of karmic consequences for, um, for killing. And I don't know if this was their way of getting a, around the fact that sometimes we do have to do this, but there's this, in this hierarchy of, uh, of um, killing, it's humans never 
large animals, such as animals that were considered royal animals in the Buddhist times, like elephants, lions, tigers. And then next in the hierarchy is smaller animals whose, whose um, flesh might be eaten. And then insects are lowest on the, on the, in the hierarchy. And it said the karmic consequences are as if you killed a human, um, it's as if you had a, had a, let's say, a shot glass of water and put a big old cube of salt in it it would be really salty, so the consequences would be severe. But if you killed some insects, it would be like taking that same cube and throwing it into the Ganges River. You would never even notice it. So I don't know if that's a way of just kind of saying, eh, no big deal. Um, but also recognizing that those little ants probably don't want to be killed either, but sometimes it has to happen. So don't give your lives over to vermin. Um, which I, I've seen people struggle, 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 and I honor that, but it's okay. I mean, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh, at one point, during the Vietnam War, there were monks who set themselves on fire to protest the war, and that is considered, you know, that's taking a life, that, that killing of oneself even, suicide. But Thich Nhat Hanh didn't, you know, he didn't say those are bad monks. I can't remember what he said, but it was basically this is what they had to do. This is what they felt they had to do at the moment. And there's a Mahayana story, in fact. Um, I think there's a couple of Mahayana stories. One of them talks about a ship at sea, and there are 500 merchants on board, and then the captain of the ship learned that there was a robber on board, who, had plan who was planning to kill the 500 merchants and steal their cargo. And so the captain was in this dilemma of, does he kill the robber to save the 500, or does he not kill at all and then by default allow 500 people to be killed? And so these are questions that, again, we have to find our own way with, not that we're killing people. But, you know, there's, all, there's the, the wars that are raging right now. I mean, there's the war in Ukraine, but there's countless other wars that are going on in our world and that have been going on for multiple years. And so there's a lot of questions. And the, the thing about Buddhism is there's no easy answers, but how do we do the best we can with these teachings and with how we move through the world? and recognizing that we want to just make it as safe a place as possible as we can. And then the final point um, was this question I had, someone gave me, asked me the other day about what happens if, and sometimes we do cause harm. Even when our intentions are, are the best in the world, there's unintended consequences to some of our actions. I was trying to get a bug out of my room once and accidentally squashed it. And so, you know, I didn't intend to kill, but I did kill. And sometimes, especially in this, this world we live in that's so globally intertwined, we never know sometimes what we do here, how it's gonna impact over there. So to be as aware and awake and as wise as we can to, to move through this world um, kindly and gently. And um, it ain't going to get fixed in our lifetime. So all we can do is do the best we can. So now I am done.
So oh, I do have one last thing. I lied again. See, there I go. Um, the Buddha said, and I love this, abstain from evil, cultivate, cultivate the good, and purify the mind. And one who abstains from the destruction of life gives immeasurable safety and security to countless beings. So thank you, my friends. Those are my thoughts on the first precept. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.